So Luke chapter 1 and starting at verse 5. In the days of Herod, king of Judea, there was a priest named Zechariah of the division of Abijah. And he had a wife from the daughters of Aaron, and her name was Elizabeth. They both were righteous before God, walking blamelessly in all the commandments and statutes of the Lord. But they had no child because Elizabeth was barren. Both were advanced in years. Now while he was serving as priest before God, when his division was on duty, according to the custom of the priesthood, he was chosen by lot to enter the temple of the Lord and burn incense. The whole multitude of the people were praying outside at the hour of incense. There appeared to him an angel of the Lord standing on the right side of the altar of incense. And Zechariah was troubled when he saw him, and fear fell upon him. But the angel said to him, Do not be afraid, Zechariah, for your prayer has been heard, and your wife Elizabeth will bear you a son. You shall call his name John. And you will have joy and gladness, and many will rejoice at his birth, for he will be great before the Lord. And he must not drink wine or strong drink, and he will be filled with the Holy Spirit, even from his mother's womb. He will turn many of the children of Israel to the Lord their God, and he will go before him in the spirit and power of Elijah to turn the hearts of the fathers to the children and the disobedient to the wisdom of the just, to make ready for the Lord a people prepared. And Zechariah said to the angel, How shall I know this? For I am an old man, and my wife is advanced in years. And the angel answered him, I am Gabriel. I stand in the presence of God, and I was sent to speak to you and to bring you this good news. Behold, you will be silent and unable to speak until the day that these things take place, because you did not believe my words, which will be fulfilled in their time. And the people were waiting on Zechariah, and they were wondering at his delay in the temple. And when he came out, he was unable to speak to them, and they realized that he had seen a vision in the temple. And he kept making signs to them and remaining mute. And when his time of service was ended, he went to his home. After these days, his wife Elizabeth conceived, and five months she kept herself hidden, saying, Thus the Lord has done for me in the days when he looked on me, to take away my reproach from among the people. Life isn't always fair. There's sometimes things happen in the life uh, where good people have bad things happen to them, and bad people live in peace and prosperity. Uh, I was reading a story about a Jordanian pastor who years ago decided that he was going to fulfill uh, God's calling to ministry, and he came to the United States to go to seminary, and he got his uh, master's of theology, and then he went back to Jordan, and Jordan uh, is a very hard mission field. But events kind of conspired so that the, it was just around the time the Gulf War was happening, and all these ha things happened so that there were so many people, Jordanians, who were coming to faith in Christ. And he was just seeing an incredible harvest for people coming to the Lord. So much so that he decided he was going to go back to the United States and try to get some more people to come and help him to reap the harvest. And he was also trying to raise financial support. So he comes back to the United States and his wife was having some problems with her throat, went to the doctor, it turned out she had throat cancer. They spent the ensuing months trying to treat her and trying to save her life. In the meantime, nobody could go back and do the work in Jordan. It, it led him to a crisis of faith. He said, God, this isn't fair, this is dumb, this doesn't make sense. Sometimes things like that happen in life where we're going down the, the right path, we're doing the right things, and for some reason, it just doesn't turn out the way that we hoped it would. Heard another story about a Christian man who, six months before he was about to retire, the company that he was working for changed the benefits that he was to receive and finagled it in such a way so that he didn't get his pension when he retired. 
And previously, he had just decided he was a Christian, but he was deciding he wanted to serve the Lord with all of his heart. He wanted to put his family first. He wanted to do the right things, and then this happened. After that, he questioned his faith. He said, God, that's not fair. I don't know if Christianity is worth it. About 25 years ago, a young family, a mom, dad, two kids, went on vacation to Philadelphia to a place called Sesame Place. This family was a devout Christian family. They went to church every week. The kids were in uh, Sunday schools. Kids went to midweek programs, and they learned uh, more Scripture verses than most Christians will ever know. They had memorized so many verses of Scripture. The parents had sacrificed so these kids could go to a Christian school. Before they left on the trip, they went to Grandma and Grandpa's house, and Grandma and Grandpa bent down and on their knees and prayed for safety for this family as they would go on this trip. Well, they went on the trip, and they had a great time at this Sesame Place, this place based on Sesame Street and amusement park type thing. Had a great time, and then finally the day came for them to go home. They went and saw a movie, and then they went out for dinner, and then they began the long journey home. Well, they weren't long on their journey on the throughway when another car going 105 miles an hour went across the median and hit their vehicle. The mother was severely injured. All of them were really severely injured. It was a miracle that they weren't all dead. The mother's face was torn to shreds. Her kneecap was uh, badly damaged. Her wrist was broken in multiple places. The father had a severe concussion, had to have knee surgery. Uh, one of the children had a subarachnoid hemorrhage, which is bleeding on the brain, extremely serious disease or impact. 30% uh, of the people who have it die uh, basically immediately or shortly thereafter. 30% are disabled. And then the other child had to have emergency surgery because uh, the intestine was, um, was damaged. In case you didn't put the pieces together, that was my family. And you look, and look at that, and I think about that, and why did God allow something like that to happen? Why did God allow it when my parents served the Lord? My parents were doing the right things. My grandparents prayed with us before we left. Why would God allow something like that to happen? Life isn't always fair. We don't always understand why God allows certain things to happen. If there's anyone who ever thought that life wasn't fair, it was probably Zechariah and Elizabeth. We're told a few things about Zechariah and Elizabeth in this text, and we're told first that Zechariah was a priest. And not only was it, he was a priest, but he was married to a woman from the line of Aaron. Now, priests weren't required to marry uh, from other priestly clans, but if a priest married someone from a priestly clan, it kind of meant they had kind of a special privilege or a special closeness to God, so to speak. And so they have a really strong spiritual background. He's a priest. She's from the daughter, uh, from the line of Aaron. And not only that, we see something else that uh, we don't see often in Scripture. Often when Jesus comes to people and talks to them, uh, especially the Pharisees, we see that they're, they're filled with hypocrisy and pride and they don't keep the law. Uh, and then we have, you know, his encounter with sinners and tax collectors. But we see something rarer in, this, in the Bible, and that is Jesus says that these people were blameless. They were righteous. They kept the law. Now, of course, Jesus wasn't saying that they had somehow earned their salvation or that they had never sinned in any way, but they were good Israelites. 
They were people of faith and they expressed that faith in obedience to the law. If there were a couple that you would ever think was a good couple who served the Lord, it was Zachariah and Elizabeth. So far, so good. But then we're hit with something else. It says, but they had no child. Now, in that day and age, not having a child, being barren, was considered to be kind of a scourge. It was considered to be a judgment of God. It was considered to be uh, having a curse upon you. Now, I don't believe that the Old Testament teaches that at all. I think there were definitely cases where that, that happened, where it was God's judgment or God's curse. But then there were a number of other cases where it wasn't. But that's just how they thought. You know, like today, you know, if someone gets sick, it could be a discipline of God. It could be a judgment of God. But oftentimes it's not. Same thing with barrenness. But in that day and age, they didn't really think about that that way. They had kind of this cause and effect. If something bad happened to you, you must have done something wrong. Remember with Job, you know, he has all these bad things that happen to him. And then his friends come up and they're like, what did you do wrong? You got to confess. You got to figure out what you did wrong. And then things will go well with you. Remember in John chapter 9, Jesus and his disciples encounter a man who was born blind. Disciples ask Jesus, so what happened? Was it this man who sinned or was his, his parents that made him be born blind? So they had this kind of cause and effect that if you had something bad happen to you, you must have done something wrong. But I think they missed something very important. Zachariah and Elizabeth are a place where, humanly speaking, there was no hope. They're past their childbearing years and yet, to the ancient mind, this would have been perplexing. How can they be both righteous before God and have this good spiritual background and yet be under the curse of God? Zechariah and Elizabeth probably questioned that themselves. They probably asked themselves, what have we done wrong? They probably started out their marriage hoping uh, that they'd st soon start a family, but they were unable to have children. And they probably prayed over and over and over again. Days turns into years. They saw their friends and relatives have child after child after child, and still they were unable to conceive. Socially, in that culture, placed a high value on producing children. They knew what people were thinking. What's wrong with them? Why has God withheld this blessing from them? They probably thought the same thing. They probably questioned and thought, what have I done wrong? And they tried to figure out what sin they had committed. And yet still, nothing changed. After some time, after prayer, they probably resigned themselves. It just wasn't going to happen. And yet they chose to stay faithful to God. They were still going to serve God faithfully, even though he hadn't answered their prayers. But again, I think that the people in this culture, and Zachariah and Elizabeth perhaps themselves, misunderstand the Old Testament and misunderstand what God often does. Yes, there were times when barrenness was a judgment or a curse from God, but there were also times when barrenness was kind of a prelude or an indication that God was about to do something incredible, that God was about to work in some incredible way through people. And we serve a God who turns barrenness into blessing. And indeed, God was going to do something incredible through Zechariah and Elizabeth. Now, when I've always thought about priests serving in the temple, I thought about, you know, maybe one or two or a couple, handful of priests in the temple. 
But there were thousands of priests that served in the temple. Uh, one scholar named Daryl Bach suggests that there were uh, perhaps about 18,000 people, uh, who, priests who served in the temple during this time frame. And what they would do is they would take turns and they would usually serve for about two weeks per year. And during that two-week period when they were, were serving, they would cast lots to see who would offer the sacrifice and who would light the incense. Now, because there were so many different priests, you know, you'd cast lots and each priest would only have the opportunity to do these things one time. So one time in your ministry career would you be able to light the incense. And on this particular day that... Zachariah is serving in his duties. The lot falls on him, and he has the privilege of lighting the incense, probably at the evening sacrifice. There was morning and evening sacrifices. And so he has this privilege, and this would have been kind of the high point of his ministry career. This was maybe the closest he would ever physically get to God, that he would go into the holy place and perform this great sacred duty. And so he was probably on the top of the world that he had this kind of privilege. And so then he goes into the holy place and goes to the place where he offered uh, the incense. And an angel appears to him. And the angel speaks a word of great blessing to him. He says, you're going to have a child. And not only was he, he, he and his wife going to have a child, but this was going to be a very special child. It says in the text that, uh, he was going to be great before the Lord. He was going to turn many of the hearts of Israel back to the Lord. And he was going to prepare the way for the Messiah to come. He was going to come in the spirit of Elijah. He was going to be a forerunner to the Messiah. Jesus says elsewhere that uh, among, among uh, men, children born to women, there's none greater than John. John was the greatest and the last of the Old Testament prophets. And Zechariah and Elizabeth, in their barrenness, are going to experience this blessing. They're going to raise the forerunner of Jesus Christ. What an incredible privilege that was. God turns barrenness into blessing. And it's not just there. We see this throughout Scripture. Remember back in Genesis, the story of Abraham. Abraham and Sarah are in basically the same situation. God makes a promise to Abraham and says, I'm going to make you into a great nation. And he's like, there's only pro one problem with that, God. I don't have any children. How are you going to make me into a great nation when I don't even have one child? Then he doesn't end up having a child. Abraham has Isaac. Isaac's wife, Rebecca, has the same problem. Isaac and Rebecca are married for 20 years and not able to have children. God answers that prayer. Then we have Jacob, Jacob and Rachel. Rachel has the same problem. She can't have children. God answers that prayer. Then we see it with the wife of Manoah. We don't know her name. It's not given in Scripture. Then we see it with Hannah. Had a bitter struggle with infertility before she had Samuel. So we have five women in the Scriptures in the Old Testament, who had the same problem. They're all barren, and look at what God did through them. Through Abraham was born Isaac, who was the first in the line who would eventually lead to the Messiah. Through Isaac was born Jacob, who would be called Israel, who would carry on the line. To, through uh, Jacob and Rachel would come Joseph, the one who would save the people of Israel from famine. Through 
Manoah, the wife of Manoah, would come Samson. During a dark period, during the period of the judges, God would start to turn back the tide to give people hope, start to free the people from the Philistines. Through Hannah, who prayed to God for years that she would have a child, Samuel was born. One of the greatest leaders in Israel's history. The last, it could be argued, in the line of judges. The one who would anoint the, Israel's first king. The one who would anoint the king whose reign will go on forever, the King David. His line will go on forever. We serve a God who turns barrenness into blessing. For many in the Bible, this was a literal barrenness. They weren't able to have children. God intervened in their lives so that they could. And maybe there's someone here, or maybe someone who's listening online, and that's exactly your circumstances. Maybe biologically you're not able to have children. Maybe you're single. Maybe you feel like you're unable for your life to start. Maybe you feel like you're in a holding pattern. You don't have a spouse. You don't have a family. And you feel this kind of emptiness. Well, we serve a God who turns barrenness into blessing. God could literally, physically, cause you to go from barrenness to have a child, have a family, have a spouse. And there's testimonies of people even in this church where God has done that. But even if he doesn't, God can turn barrenness into blessing in other ways as well. One of my aunts and uncles uh, is unable to have children. And uh, they tried for some time to have children. And I don't know the inner workings of, of how much that affected. I'm sure it was a very difficult thing for them. But eventually they came to a point where they were just like, I, we're going to serve God. We're going to do what God calls us to do, whether we have children or not. And oh, what a blessing their lives are. Oh, what an impact they've made for the cause of the gospel. Again, I don't know everything that happened and all the inner workings of what was going on in their minds, but I see the fruit of their lives. And I see the people who have been impacted with the love of Christ as they reach out to those around them. And literally, they have impacted more people for Christ probably than they ever could, even if they had children. God turns barrenness into blessing. Some of us today, maybe we're emotionally barren. We come upon this Christmas season, and it's a very different Christmas season. Maybe this is the first Christmas season that we're going to be eating Christmas dinner alone or with just our immediate family. Maybe there's things that have happened in this past year that have just weighing upon us. But don't give up. God can turn barrenness into blessing. God can use the experiences in your life, the loneliness and the pain that you're experiencing now, maybe to help somebody down the road. God can bring beauty out of ashes. He, bring, he turns barrenness into blessing. Some of us are barren physically. We, our bodies are riddled with pain and disease. Maybe we have trouble getting through the day. Maybe we have trouble just dealing with the pain on a daily basis. God turns barrenness into blessing. He works all things for our good and for his glory. He can get us through this. And there's blessing waiting on the other side. Some of us have barren relationships. Our relationships with our spouses are not the way that we hoped that they would be. The love and respect that we once had is now gone. Maybe we're tempted to even give up, throw in the towel. Don't give up. We serve a God of the resurrection. We serve a God who turns barrenness into blessing. What an incredible privilege to serve such a God.
Some of us are barren spiritually. We no longer feel close to God. The intimacy we once had with Him is now gone. Maybe we're plagued with questions, doubts. Why does God allow this to happen? Why does God allow that to happen? God turns barrenness into blessing. Don't give up. Believe, have faith, trust in Him. He will see us through. Now again, our barrenness or our emptiness, it could be a sign that we're doing something wrong. And that's the first place we should start. We should make sure that we're not doing something that is causing God's judgment or God's discipline in our life. And if there is, the solution's pretty easy. Repent. Turn to Him. But if not, if there's nothing uh, known sin in our life that we're, uh, that's causing these issues, we can have faith and we can hope. And we can believe that maybe, just maybe, God's about to do something incredible through us. Because God uses us in our weakness. He starts at a point of weakness. And through our weakness, he shows his greatness. And he shows us his faithfulness. Oswald Chambers said this, Our Lord begins where we would never begin, at the point of human destitution. The greatest blessing a man ever gets from God is the realization that if he is going to enter into his kingdom, it must be through the door of destitution. Naturally, we do not want to begin there. That is why the appeal of Jesus is of no use until we come face to face with realities. Then the, one worth, the only one worth listening to is the Lord. When we're weak, we know that we need Jesus. That's the point when God can use us. He uses us in our weakness, in our emptiness. And so Zechariah is told about this great blessing. He's told about this miracle that's going to occur in his life. And how does he respond? He says, how can this be? He says, I'm old, I'm advanced in age, my wife is advanced in age, she's beyond childbearing years, how can this be? Now as we look at uh, his response here, you know, it, I think he's not fully believing, but he's not fully unbelieving either. He's not like, well, I don't believe this is going to happen, there's no way this is going to happen, it's impossible. But on the same token, he's not trusting in God either. I think that place in the middle is what we might call doubt. He believes that God can do it, but he's not sure that God will do it. One writer said that that's the difference, uh, that's true faith. It's not believe that God can, it's that he will. Zechariah believes that God can. He has a strong faith in God, but he questions whether God's going to really do it for him in his situation. He struggles to apply the truth of God's word to his own personal, individual struggle. And what's so interesting about that is he was a priest. He knew the Old Testament law. He was a Jew. He knew all about Abraham's struggle. And Abraham was in almost the exact same situation that he was in. And yet still he questioned whether God could actually bring it about. And as a result of that, his Punishment for, or discipline, I might say, for a while, is that he's not able to speak. Now, have you ever had something incredible happen to you, and you are so excited about whatever that is, that you just want to get on the phone or send out text and tell people what happened to you? Well, imagine you see an angel, and the angel tells you that God is going to answer a prayer that you have been praying for years and years and years, in a miraculous way. I mean, you'd want to go and 
tell everyone you knew, especially to tell Elizabeth. Now, in our day and age, we could get away with that. I mean, we have texting, we have computers, we have different resources to communicate, but in that day and age, it wasn't so easy to communicate. I mean, do we even know for sure if Zachariah could write? If he could write, it's not like you could get out a notepad. Paper was very expensive. So his ability to communicate would have been very limited. It says in the text that he's doing gestures. Can you imagine Zechariah coming out from the temple and just not being able to speak and saying, you know, pointing up to heaven, pointing to the belly, and just making all these gestures because he's so excited, but nobody knows what's happening. And yet still God was faithful in, 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 in carrying this about. God, Zachariah and Elizabeth were still going to have a child, but the thing is, because Zachariah didn't believe, he missed out on some of that joy. It was much more difficult for him to walk through those days because he didn't believe. And the same thing, I think, is true for those of us who are true believers in Christ. If we doubt God's promises, it's not that God's going to take away his favor from us. It's not that uh, you know, he's going to just leave us on our own. But we're going to miss out. We're going to miss out on the joy of seeing God work and proclaiming what God has done to those around us. And it's going to be a lot more difficult. Dr. Jamie Adden, who is a cancer survivor and a Christian, uh, is a person who researches how people respond to trauma. And she wrote in the Washington Post an article in which she urged trauma survivors to make meaning of your experience. She wrote this. Most of us operate from what some researchers refer to as a just worldview. We tend to believe that if we're good, good things ha will happen. It's difficult then to make meaning when bad things happen to us. I went to the doctor for tests because of shooting pains in my leg. I never dreamed it was from a mass sitting on a nerve bundle in my pelvis. It was difficult for me to wrap my head around what had happened. Thoughts like, wasn't I a good person, plagued me. A colleague of mine deployed to help with a relief agency after Superstorm Sandy uh, met a man whose roof had been blown away by gale-strength winds. This man surprised the relief team with an optimistic quip. He said, sometimes you have to lose the roof to see the stars. She writes, there's a man who knows how to find meaning in loss. My colleagues and I have interviewed and surveyed disaster survivors about their views of God in the wake of catastrophe. We have found that you can have two people who go through almost identical losses, with one believing God saved them, while the other believes God is punishing them. Remember, they went through the same disaster. She says, but in a forthcoming volume of psychology of religion and spirituality, we found that the person who doesn't find positive meaning is likely to struggle a great deal more. I encourage you, even in the worst moments, look for the stars. I mean, isn't that incredible that you can have the same exact experience, same tragedy? One person says, God's punishing me. The other says, God is going to see me through. That's the question. That's the struggle that we have when we face emptiness, when we face barrenness in our souls. Are we going to say, has God given up on me? Or are we going to walk forward in faith and say, maybe God has something extraordinary in mind for me? Maybe he has something better for me than I could ever wrap my mind around. That our human wisdom cannot even fathom. 
We serve a God who turns barrenness into blessing. What a joy that is. So if you're walking through a season of barrenness today, first of all, check and make sure if there isn't something in your life that could be contributing to that. Some sin that maybe you're holding on to, but if that's not the case, let's walk forward in faith, believing that God has good things in store for us. Believing that God turns barrenness into blessing. I'd like to close by reading Isaiah chapter 54, verses 1 to 8. It says this, Sing, O barren one who did not bear. Break forth into singing and cry aloud, you who have not been in labor, for the children of the desolate one will be more than the children of her who is married, says the Lord. Enlarge the place of your tent and let the curtains of your habitations be stretched out. Do not hold back. Lengthen your cords and strengthen your stakes. For you will spread abroad to the right and to the left, and your offspring will possess the nations and will, pos- and, and will people the desolate cities. Fear not, for you will not be ashamed. Be not confounded, for you will not be disgraced. For you will forget the shame of your youth and the reproach of your widowhood you will remember no more. For your maker is your husband. The Lord of hosts is his name. The Holy One of Israel is your Redeemer. The God of the whole earth he is called. For the Lord has called you like a wife deserted and grieved in spirit, like a wife of youth when she is cast off, says your God. For a brief moment I deserted you, but with great compassion I will gather you. In overflowing anger for a moment I hid my face from you, but with everlasting love I will have compassion on you, says the Lord, your Redeemer. Let's pray. God, we thank you for your great love for us. We thank you that you see things that we do not see. We thank you that you're working even in the midst of hardship, even in the midst of difficulty in our souls. Lord, for those of us who are believers in Jesus today, Lord, I pray that we would see life from your perspective. When the walls are crumbling in, we would not cry out that God has forgotten me, God has forgotten me, but that we'd cry out and say, God will be with me. God will not fail me. Lord, give us that faith today. Give us the strength to walk through hard times knowing that blessing is around the corner. Lord, I pray for anyone here who maybe has never entered into a relationship with you and there's a, maybe a hole that they're feeling in their hearts. Lord, I pray that today would be the day that they turn and put their faith in their trust in you. Lord, we love you. We thank you that you are the God of the resurrection, the God who makes dead things live once again. And as your people, we pray that we would run to you and trust in you with all of our hearts. In Christ's name I pray, amen.